Hello, hello. This is Ali Tedlawi. Welcome to another episode of Talk to Me About Food, a podcast about the forces that shape what we Americans eat and drink, how we shop for it, prepare it, and dispose of all that goes into making a meal. Actually, what follows now are musings about the forces impacting what we choose to eat away from home. Priya Krishna, a contributing writer to the New York Times food section, recently shared her assessment of what she and her team discovered surveying 121 menus from restaurants around the country in a story called The Menu Trends That Define Dining Now in the February 7th, 2024 edition. It's mostly a lighthearted take on what is on menus, how the food and drinks are being served up on the menu, and the menu itself, the piece of paper as a marketing device. There's enough to sink my teeth into in this brief article to make three connected stories. This one explores themes Ms. Krishna identifies around what's being served. There'll be one on how some restaurants are stretching our expectations of what to eat, when, and how, how to structure the dining experience, and another episode that considers what the menu says about the restaurant and what the diner's relationship should or could be with the establishment. Raising the base tip to 20% has stirred things up for sure. This was the most discussed point in the comments made on this article. So what's hot on menus? Caesar salad, caviar, fried chicken, yuzu, panna cotta, and nostalgic desserts, and mocktails, zero-proof drinks as she calls them. You don't believe it? Well... We went out for dinner a couple days after I read the New York Times article. It's not a particularly trendy place that we went to. What makes it stand apart is not the menu, but the live music. It's set up a bit like the old supper club, with a dance floor surrounded by tables. The not-so-extensive Asian-inspired, although not sure why there was a Muhammad on it, included six of the seven trendy items that they found. Miso, Caesar salad, yuzu vinaigrette in a different salad, caviar straight up, Korean fried chicken, and creme brulee instead of panna cotta, uh, and plenty of alcohol-inspired but alcohol-free drinks. Well, why, I thought, I mean, why these foods? Other than the yuzu showing up all over the menu, the other trendy menu items feel familiar and comforting. Caviar is not familiar in the way that fried chicken, banana pudding, soft serve ice cream, and even Caesar salad can be comfort foods. But caviar is not exotic. It is out of reach for most of us most of the time, but it's a familiar, maybe even archetypal treat for the elite. Panna cotta is kind of a fancy pudding too when you think about it. One of the restaurant owners interviewed suggests that the appeal of caviar is a reaction to the restraint foisted on us by the pandemic, a yearning unleashed for the opulent and extravagant. There's a profit motive, too, behind the prevalence of panna cotta on this year's menus. Panna cotta is relatively inexpensive to make because the restaurant apparently doesn't need to have a pastry chef to make it, and the dessert can be made in advance. The Caesar salad intrigues me. It seems an odd choice as a palate for creative fusioning, at least on the surface. To me, it's a specific recipe that sets specific taste and texture expectations. Well, yes and no. The yes, 
The origin of the salad is generally attributed to Caesar Cardini, a restaurateur who is said to have first tossed it in front of diners at his Tijuana establishment. It was a product of the Prohibition era. As the story goes, a run on Cardini's restaurant by American border crossers on July 4th, 1924, emptied his stores. So he had to improvise. Apparently, they had enough romaine lettuce and eggs on hand to concoct an acceptable, if not directly substitutable, entree. That, along with a dressing made of lime, lime juice, really, olive oil, salt, pepper, Parmesan cheese, and croutons became the basis for the original Caesar salad. One of Cardini's daughters recounts that the lettuce was served whole leaf, so you were meant to take hold of the stem and eat one leaf at a time with your fingers. Salad as finger food. I do that sometimes. Lettuce wraps have become normalized, so the original Caesar restaurant salad wouldn't be unusual today. The no. There is no uniform recipe for the Caesar salad today. Chefs have been innovating from the beginning. The original Caesar dressing may or may not have included garlic, Worcestershire sauce, anchovies or anchovy paste, and Dijon mustard. Plenty of recipes now feature these ingredients. In honor of the Caesar salad centennial this year, I assembled and compared the original to a miso Caesar salad. It's not much work to put together a Caesar salad, so after about half an hour, I sat down to try them. I used Julia Child's recipe for the original. She claims to have witnessed Caesar Cardini himself put on a show for her in the 20s. I was lazy, though. I didn't find the right kind of crouton, so I skipped them for both recipes. Julia Child's version calls for lemon instead of lime and directs you to splash a few drops of Worcestershire sauce before dropping a coddled egg in the middle of the lettuce leaves and tossing it all together. It was light and refreshing, mainly because of the lemon juice, and nicely balanced out by the Parmesan and light touch of egg yolk and whites. I did eat the salad with my fingers. Mayonnaise and white miso paste are the standout ingredients in the miso Caesar salad. They, along with a bit of white wine vinegar, substitute for the egg and lemon. The anchovy was optional because of miso paste, according to the recipe, so I skipped it too. This dressing was, not surprisingly, very creamy, not like the original. Also, unlike the Julia Child, the original, this recipe calls for garlic, which definitely added an afternote. But the first thing you taste is quite reminiscent of the original and really any Caesar salad I've had. The twist on the familiar is the flavor of miso. It reminds you of miso in any Japanese dish, but it complements the other flavors despite the fact that it sources from a very different food tradition. They're both really good. I'll make them again. I might even try a roasted poblano Caesar dressing like the one I saw on a menu the other day. So two of the three restaurants I've been to since I read the New York Times article feature a different kind of Caesar salad. It's definitely a thing. More to come about the other themes Priya Krishna talks about in her survey of menus from around the country. Next time, all around the menus themselves. I do hope you come back for more of Talk To Me About Food. Thank you.